It's Popscorn episode 100, part 2. No, it's not 101. And here comes the big moment. What are our top five movies of all time? I'm Mike. And I'm Darren. And this is Popscorn. Pop's Gone Leaf Bound Entertainment Movie Review Podcast. We're back for episode 100, part 2, not 101. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, we're going to be carrying on from last week or whenever we posted the last episode. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, we recorded these apart, can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this one, this time we're going to go through five to one of our top movies of all time. I'm very excited. We've been excited to do this for a long time. We just get to talk about films with... Just overwhelming uh, pleasure, which I'm looking forward to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still Mike. And I'm still Darren. So um, I was about to recap what we picked for our, our 10 through 6 pieces, but no, go listen to the podcast. Um, we need them clicks. Uh, so go listen to that. <laughs> but um, basically, I think we had quite a variety back uh, in the first section. We didn't actually have a repeat movie between the two of us, between our 10 and 6. I guarantee that's going to end today. Um, 100% very much in the realms of predictable although I think 5 might be a bit of a a left turn I think everything past that is so predictable Um, that doesn't mean it's bad I think just because the way that we've structured this individually I think we've got one crossover definitely maybe two Mm -hmm. but we'll see how it goes lovely right so I um, I went first last time so just to keep us uh in the same pattern, I'll start us off on this one. So we start with my number five. It was released in 1993. It is directed by John uh, Turtletorb. That's how I'm going to choose to say that. Uh, it grows 150 million and has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 76%. Uh, we started talking in the first podcast about how sentimentality uh, can play a role here. Uh, and this is no more so than this film, which in no way imaginable deserves quality wise to be as high as it is i am picking it because i think if i was ill and i just wanted to watch one movie it would probably be this one it is the almost like it's the only film from my childhood that i haven't either hasn't had lots of sequels that have kind of taken the shine off or i've kind of you know seen that when i was a kid i was watching it well you, you liked it for different reasons it's not really held up the past the, the uh, test of time it is, of course, Cool Runnings. Now, let me explain to you my Cool Runnings. <laughs> wow, that, that, I did not expect Cool Runnings at all. I, well, then we did, um, a few years ago, when we were talking about our ideas for uh, Pitch Perfect, uh, our other podcast series, which you go on this too on fairentainment.com. Um, hold the fuck, did you just call it Pitch Perfect? Jesus Christ, I did, Pitch Intense, uh oh oh darren we've only been doing it how long god that's bad anyway on pitching tents one of the ideas we banded around was um remake a film and i was like in terms of remaking films you want to make one that you feel either wasn't done well enough or or something or or do a long gestating sequel and every time i think of one of those i come back to cool runnings and think 
No, it's too perfect. You'd only ruin it, Darren. You can't make <laughs> that thing better. I knackered the videotape I had of this as a child because I watched it. I, I think there was a summer where I watched it basically every day because wow. it is like, don't get me wrong, it is complete bubblegum. It has some substance and does have some good teaching moments like all 90s Disney films do. But I have, I make no bones about it. This is here because I have so much nostalgia for this film. Just like I said, if I'm ill and I just want to watch something that's real straightforward, it's going to get me some giggles. I get to quote along with it and it gives you a big warm fuzzy feeling at the end. It's Cool Runnings, the story of the Jamaican bobsled team going to the 1988 Winter Olympics. It's real stupid. It's got a good cast. Admittedly, not many of whom have gone on to do anything else of note since this. I mean, John Candy, I think, died only a few years after this came out. And he's the big headliner. Dougie Doug has done a few things, but nowhere near as much as he should have done, because Sanka's an all-time Hall of Fame Darren Guthrie's character, I think. Um, yeah, I, I really wish I could talk about the nuance, but I don't think there's any here to talk about, Michael. No, this is not what this top five is going to be about. Nuance, we're not here to talk about how they are excellent examples of cinema or how they are, you know, technical masterpieces. This is just films we really love. I I never really got on the Cool Runnings train, even though I think I liked it regardless. I quoted it the other day, so like, I, I really do like it. It's, isn't it weird to think that this is a Disney movie? Because right. I, I I really don't, even at the time of watching it, I never really, like, took this in as a Disney movie. No. It, it feels, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but it feels edgier than a Disney movie should be. Even though, like you say, it is pure bubblegum. There are no, like, bad emotions to be found in this movie. It's all cheerful. Yeah. And I think that's precisely why it's persisted. Because I, I think that this movie is just an embodiment of optimism which is uh, is what we need in these terrible terrible times not every film needs to be a deep you know thought experiment on the human condition some of it can just be silly people sliding around on ice uh, and that's what cool runnings is like don't get me wrong it's something that when you watch it again as an adult you you kind of see the racial undertones that as a kid you don't really pick up on and not so much that they're trying to you know not make it about race but i think it's trying to teach a more simplistic like morality tale to kids like it just say you know achieve your dreams just because people say you can't do something doesn't mean you can't try it you know be accepting of other people you know don't just you know marginalize people and think well they can't do that because they're you know this race this gender this whatever it's only in an adult you see like the, there's the one line that kind of makes it all crystal clear where um john candy's character um uh coach blitzer goes into the uh the winter Olympics uh committee um and he just gets the uh the news uh, just after they christened the sled cool runnings um uh, that they've been disqualified and he basically boots the door down and he says well we've decided to change the rules uh, you know under the new rules your team doesn't um compete anymore you know you don't um what's the word i'm looking for um under these new rules you don't get to go to the winter olympics you don't qualify that's the word i was looking for uh, and there's this really over-the-top British guy, because, of course, when you have to teach race relations, it's best just to get a very posh British person in there. And he goes, and, of course, the committee has to be um, worried about the potential for embarrassment. And John Candy goes, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't think the idea of four black guys in a sled can make you blush. 
And then as an adult, you go all of a sudden, oh, okay. <laughs> that went over my head by a country mile when I was a kid. <laughs> it's the Simpsons effect, isn't it? I don't know what, yeah, exactly. I don't know, like, what I thought John Candy meant by that. Like, what, is that because they're not very good and that might be embarrassing? I didn't at all think of it, right? But... It's a simpler yeah. time, Darren. <laughs> it was, it was, it was. It's, yeah, I, I might not bounce about this. I have more critical things I can say about the next four choices and why I really, really do like them from like a critical point of view, from maybe like a more media point of view. This is just here because it makes me happy. And too often in this life, we always underestimate those films that aren't really there to anything other than make you happy. And Cool Runnings always does. So... Yep, that's how we're starting off. I will point out, Michael put The Room as, as his first choice on the first <laughs> podcast, so anything else I say, I could have put anything here. Uh, I could have put The Human Centipede here, and it would have been okay. So that's my number five. On to you, Michael. We don't judge on this podcast, Aaron. That's the whole point. Oh, no, touche. <laughs> Apart from if you enjoyed Fan Forstic unironically, then uh, oh. we will judge. We will definitely, definitely judge. Mm-hmm. Um, right, okay, my number five. Uh, it was released in, again, it's the, um, it's a forms of pair of two movies released in 1975 and are therefore the oldest movies on my list. Um, I just checked on Rotten Tomatoes because I didn't think there'd be reviews, but there actually is. It has a 97% fresh rating on the tomato meter with a 95% audience score. Uh, so it, it's doing very well in that regard. It was made on a budget of £400,000 and it very much looks like a cheap movie, even though it took in five million at the box office at the time. So it was a big, big success for British comedy. My number five is Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Right. I know you're not a fan of Monty Python, <laughs> now, are you? This is the third movie you've chose that I have to say, don't like that. It's largely because people tell me all the fucking time that I both look like and remind people of John Cleese. And I find John Cleese as funny as, like, brain surgery. So... I never got on board with that. But uh, even my goddaughter now has started watching Faulty Towers and felt the need to FaceTime me immediately to go, Darren, you're like the funny man in Faulty Towers. It's like, oh, not another one, for God's sake. Um, but, uh, the cycle continues. I know, I know. She didn't even, like, I don't I, I don't imagine her parents have pushed her into it, but her mom also has pointed out in the past that I do remind her of Basil Faulty. So, great. Uh, I can see my time. Go on, Michael. <laughs> Oh, I did not know this was a thing, and now I'm loving it all the more. I never um, get I never get compared to sexually attractive people, let's put it that way. So, you know, no, Basil Fawlty makes sex, sense. It's not even the most sexy or attractive person of Monty Python. No, exactly. Like, you wouldn't mind if you got called, you know, like um, Michael Palin or Eric Idle, but Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> Michael Palin, I could ride around on trains for Channel 5 for a bit. I could do that, no problem. No, always John Cleese. Yeah, always John it's brilliant oh right okay um we're very much keeping on the track of this is just something that makes me very happy because monty python is my favorite comedy thing ever and that's like that's a big statement considering that includes like all the comedy movies movies that we reviewed on this uh on this podcast it includes like old classics like blackadder and stuff like that monty python to me is the apex of that and i found it at a point of time in my life i really got into monty python um, when I really wanted to get into writing, when I thought I was going to be a novelist, and I enjoyed the absurdity that came with Monty Python. I think I watched that and realised, maybe I want to do like a 
like screenplays and sketches and stuff like that because I, I just want to be this strange and off the wall um and that's very much what this film is fun fact i really hated the end of this movie the first time i saw it um for those of you who haven't seen it the very end of the movie it looks like they're about to have a giant battle um at this castle and there's a big army and as they come charging in a bunch of police cars pull up and just arrest everybody bear in mind the movie's set in arthurian times <laughs> Right. Oh, it's it, it's the movie purposefully ends terribly just for the sake of a joke, which I really 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 enjoy. Uh, I'm I'm actually experiencing moments of comedy just reading through both the Wikipedia and Rotten Tomatoes of this because of the names of the characters that all the uh, all the members of Python play. Uh, <laughs> here are some highlights: second soldier with interest in birds. Mr. Newt, an, extra- an extraordinarily rude Frenchman, Tim the Wizard, the middle head of the three-headed giant, the voice of God, and, uh, oh, where is it? <laughs> uh, the guard who doesn't hiccup but tries to get things straight. So, yeah, it's not a particularly uh, serious movie. I think I think if people have watched something Monty Python, they've probably seen this. There's a very much a, a stereotype amongst people of my ilk, and by that I mean terrible nerds who just incessantly quote this movie. Like you thought it was bad when it was like, you, you know, like if you thought meme culture was bad. You imagine like how far back quoting this shit goes, because. <laughs> Everybody fucking knows, you know, the knights who say knee who want a shrubbery or the the, the black knight who uh, uh, is only, you know, he's, he's got no arms left, but it's just a flesh wound. Everybody's heard these quotes. And I think this is testament to how ridiculously well this movie actually, you know, it, it, it's kept. It's not a time capsule of 1975 in much the same way that the Rocky Horror Picture Show is. But um, that was another movie that I've already mentioned. That's two spoilers now. But what what Rocky Horror did in sort of like capturing a moment in kitsch, this because it's set in the past, because it has that um, very silly kind of timeless comedy. I think it really does stand up. Um, it's completely ridiculous. It, it's not a movie to be taken seriously, but you can't argue against that box office at the time. And of course, it's one of the better translations, not from stage to film, but from film to stage, because the Spamalot show is wonderful. It's a very great time to uh, to, uh, to go out to the the theatre and uh, and just because it, it gets to embellish on all those moments and it gets to make it a full musical. Because there's really only like. I want to say one song, if you don't count like the uh, like the Ballad of Sir Robin, which is more of a sketch. There's there's just the Knights of the Round Table song, which I still love. It has still one of my favourite cutaway gags of all time, which is everybody dancing in the main hall, and then you just cut to a prisoner in manacles, just hanging and trying to clap his hands along to the music. It's just so unexpected the first time you see it. Oh, it's so full of good moments. Tim the Enchanter, the fucking, uh, like, the rabbit that kills everybody, the holy hand grenade. Camelot is a silly place. God telling everybody to piss off. It's such a good movie. It's so good. (laughs) I forgot. I just remember the bit where the animator dies of a sudden heart attack, which means that they ran out of budget to do the animations. Oh, the, even the production of this movie is just so fascinating. They were originally actually going to have horses, but the budget wouldn't cover it, and that's why they um, like pretend to be on horseback and have somebody banging a coconut behind them. It's because they just couldn't be asked to pay for them. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I'm just I'm laughing thinking about it, and that is exactly why it needs to be my number five. Again, wish I could contribute. I haven't even seen it. Like my unstoppable dislike of John Cleese and that kind of it's that silly British comedy that I just I've never really got on with. Like I also don't particularly care for Blackadder. Um, I know I, I like my only false horses. That's it. Um, maybe I do need to give it a chance. Uh, it's another one on your list that I've never seen alongside another one you had in the first half. So maybe I do, but yeah, um, I do like that you've now finally. I've now realised why in White and Nerdy he says um, I memorised uh, Holy Grail really well. I could recite it right now and have you R O T F L O L. I'm mm. like, oh, it's because people get off on that, right? I yeah. I did think that was a bit of a weird choice, but apparently if that's a thing, that makes more sense to me. Um, cool. To each their own. Um, <laughs> we are. Uh, it's it's good you're adding variety. Variety is about to die a fast and swift death in my list, so. Because uh, <laughs> I think I know what's coming. Okay, because like basically past cool runnings with mine. If you listen to long enough, you basically know. We know that roughly what four films are about to happen. The only real question is what order are they coming in? Um, mm. And as I've said several times, I hope you like Star Wars at number four <laughs> from 2005. It's the redheaded stepchild of the top four. Um, but I adore it. It's directed by your boy George. It made 860 million. It's somehow got 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. I say that not because I don't adore the film, because of course I do, but because it's a Star Wars prequel. How's he got 80% on Rotten Tomatoes? But thankfully, that means there are some smart people in the world. It's the epic ballad of Anakin Skywalker. It's Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. I, I listen to people who don't like Episode 1 and 2. Fair enough, I'm not overly keen on them. I like Attack of the Clones more than the vast majority of people do. I understand you think it's worse than Phantom Menace, right? Yeah, I 100% think that Episode 2 is the worst. I will say this, that's probably got a lot to do with nostalgia, and that being the first Star Wars movie I watched in the cinema, right. is why I give one a free pass, whereas 2 is just fucking dross. I, I see, I... I, I accept they both have flaws, but I, I I prefer two to one. But I, the most frequent argument I had when I used to work at the cinema, um, well, in truth, it was, is Star Wars better than Lord of the Rings? And I am match fit for that argument because I will not concede any points whatsoever to the fucking Lord of the Rings. The other <laughs> one was constantly having to defend episode three because I think it's, unbelievably good don't get me wrong it still has some of the prequel problems um his name is hayden christensen but this is by <laughs> and he's back and it, yeah he's back but i think if you can channel a little bit of the ng he brought to this one because this is leaps and bounds better than the anakin skywalker we get in uh, episode two he's at least in the first half he's likable and somewhat relatable in this film and that mm. then because he finally kind of clicks it enough into gear to make you sympathize with the character it helps when you see his downfall and you understand his reasonings for the path he goes down um, when he is turned to the dark side um if you don't know what star wars is what are you doing here um it's uh yeah i the fighting choreography in this film is unmatched the obi-wan versus anakin is unmatched in any other star wars film 
Maybe Darth Maul in episode one, maybe. But it just doesn't have the feels. It's all about the emotionality in this film. That final fight, that last 45 minutes from the second from the second Anakin gets to Mustafar is just uh, perfect Star Wars. Just unbelievably good stuff. And it's not just because the action is unbelievable and the CGI is at the highest peak it got to in the prequels, because that's also true. But just every every swing of the lightsaber means something to those two characters. And you are so invested. Not to mention you've got the unexpected all-star match also happening alongside it of Yoda versus the Emperor. It's, yeah, you know how I'm slightly apologetic for X-Men films because I just love them so much despite their flaws? This is very much that pick for me of all the Star Wars films. People can come at me and say it has some problems and I will listen to them, but I think it finally, finally clicks into gear what we needed from this prequel trilogy. Don't worry, listeners. If you think that I was just going to sit by and let Darren praise a prequel movie, you'd be absolutely right, because this is fucking brilliant. Yes, Michael. Yes, Michael. I I don't understand the hate. Like it, it is the thing is, even if you view it just in context of the prequels, like you say, it is such a leaps and bound improvements over one and two. And one has its moments. Pod racing, pretty fucking cool. Mm. Qui-Gon, actually like that character. Darth Maul, I know he's a gimmick, but that's a cool double-ended lightsaber. <laughs> like one has like things that are just like cool but ultimately it's a piece of shit two has nothing of interest outside of yoda doing 12 backflips in two minutes Mm -hmm. um and then you've got this movie and it starts with something that we hadn't actually seen in the prequels as of yet which is a full-on space battle yeah yeah. you know the kind of shit that you you would play in a rogue uh a rogue leader or a rogue squadron game and they fucking do it and it looks great and then you've got you know the there's just so many great maybe part of this is meme culture but there's so many great bits in this mm-hmm. like i think the beheading account dooku is really cool i think the well i mean we talked at length about the tragedy of darth play just the y oh. scene uh, during star wars yeah. week and just how much lore that f- it was just drip like all of the things that the sequel trilogy ignored yep <laughs> there's just so much shit here that's cool and i, I will i will put my balls on the table right now do I want to commit to this sentence? I don't know. Okay, Do I'm going to commit to this sentence. Do it. <laughs> Do it. Do it. Um, I think that Anakin versus Obi-Wan is an equally good bit of music as Jewel of the Fates. I'd say so, yeah. You get that... It's just... It's John Williams at his best. Because, let's face it, something had to drag the prequel trilogy up, and it was John Williams. Yeah. Yeah, it's really fucking good. And I think... The thing is, you all know where that story's going, because we've all seen the original movies. So it has to fill that gap in. And it up until where we had things that happened in the interim, it actually filled the gap. It explained how we got from Anakin to Vader. And it did it really fucking well. Mm-hmm. You can, like you say, you can argue with the shonky acting. I mean, Hayden Christensen exists. Natalie Portman is not at her best. Yeah. But you, can you, you watch the scene where... Obi-Wan ha- gets the high ground and tell me that Hugh McGregor's not the perfect Obi-Wan oh. in that scene. It's the first time you see him full-on emote and he loses his fucking shit <laughs> because he's 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 not only ang- like he's not angry but he's devastated. He's disappointed in his what who he thought was his friend but moreover he's 
the prophecy is gone and he's lost somebody, the the person who's probably the closest to. Mm -hmm. It's all in there. And I don't get the hate. I really don't get the hate. I really wish... Well, I was going to say, I really wish this George Lucas, who was willing to go out on what at the time was planned to be the last ever Star Wars film, and to not, like, coddle it, not to go out and go, oh, okay, maybe put some, like, comic relief in there, or, you know, don't make it all, give it a unnecessarily happy ending. No, this is, like, the darkest Star Wars movie by a country mile. Abandon all hope, children. Like, it is... Order 66 on, on, you know, just as a kickoff, we've wiped out all the Jedi. Although the Berber things go on under the Disney canon, <laughs> turns out we didn't wipe out quite all the Jedi, but most of them. Um, <laughs> it also leads on to the Clone Wars. Excellent. Anyway, um, just having that balls to be dark and really, like, dig into the, the Darth Vader and Obi-Wan, like, dynamic, you really wish you could go back this level of bravery and go and do one and two i say george should do this because allegedly this was basically ghost directed by spielberg so that probably mm. explains a lot and my god do i want spielberg to go back and do one and two because oh good god they'd be so much better but yeah he doesn't like jar jar has two words in this film that is all we get from him there is there is don't worry, there's still some funny bits yoda knocking out the emperor's guard is never not hilarious but <laughs> and and the second they finally let the chains off um, Ian McDermott to just go full blown emperor, I know it's meany yeah. as hell. Like the unlimited power, <laughs> and I'm too weak, and he's just chewing all the scenery. But oh, it's so much fun that he goes that over the top camp. So much so that when he turns back up in episode nine, I'm not a massive fan of the plot, but I'm still happy to see Ian McDermott back doing the whole stuff. We haven't even mentioned General <laughs> Fucking Grievous, who is. Oh, of all yes. like the one-shot throwaway villains in Star Wars, might be the because he's just got an awesome design. He's great to play in every single video game he's in. Um, <laughs> it's worth it for the memes of "Hello there, General Kenobi." <laughs> um, <laughs> Please tell me you've seen the animated, uh, not Star Wars: The Clone Wars, just Star Wars: Clone Wars. No, I haven't. The two D one. They introduce Grievous in that series, and it's fucking brutal it's so good i love grievous so much did you did you see speaking of the the general kenobi Mm. meme you know like people upload like movies but it's just the memes Uh, an upload of this survived like not very long because they uploaded uh, revenge of the sith but it's just the memes and uploaded the full movie (laughs) (laughs) fucking brilliant it's not inaccurate though is it it's not. I genuinely believe that the reason this has become the entire film is a meme is because people actually like it. Yeah. People actually enjoy it, and they're just not willing to say it out loud. Yeah, and it, like I said, it doesn't. It does dig into that darkness, and I'm very happy it does that. It leaves you with that little bit of hope because you know what's up next. We do leave with Luke being handed over to um, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, the twin sunset on Tatooine, Obi Wan going off on the weird camel thing. It's yeah, it's I, I I feel like I have to defend this one the most of these next four films because it is a Star Wars prequel and they're like infamously like easy to hate on. Although I feel like it's actually coming back around now because people in our generation who for this is their Star Wars trilogy are now making the shots. So it's kind of getting a bit of an easier run these days, um, particularly as we're ready mm. to get out. You know, Hugh McGregor's coming back for Obi-Wan and so is Hayden Christensen. Ace. 
Um, but yeah, that is number four. I don't think it's the last we're going to be hearing about Star Wars. Maggle? Almost certainly not. However, I imagine that this is the final movie where we're going to have a bit of difference in our list. I would expect the next, at least the next three to have the same franchise for the most mm-hmm. part. Um, this one uh, does not have any uh, troubles when it comes to critical reception, as it is uh, a 100% on the tomato meter. Um, a 92% on the audience score, slightly lower, don't understand it, maybe it's people looking back on it not as fondly as you would hope. This movie is from 1995, it is the first movie I ever saw, and it's called Toy Story. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can get on board with this. Oh man, I, uh, this had to be here, you never forget your first. Mm. It's the first movie I saw in cinemas, and I think it formed so much about what i love about cinema because it it just felt so fantastical and because i think we were born at a very strange time you and me because it was very much the dawn of 3d in all mediums Mm. um this one of course coming off the back of i think it was silicon graphics computers that started being able to render um 3d graphics in a more realistic way um this movie famously took forever to complete it was so so long in development um it was made on a budget of 30 million which was considered to be quite a lot for animation back then uh, it made 337 so <laughs> i think it's safe to say it was a success mm-hmm. um bear in mind it's had three other films and countless other things i mean we're about to get a fucking spin-off for fuck's sake you know the uh the chris evans fronted buzz lightyear movie you didn't think you needed oh yeah um, i wonder what you were on about then i was like what um, but yeah, yeah, they are doing yeah. that, aren't they? Yeah, cool. Captain America is Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. Sweet. I'm down. Uh, it's another instance of Tom Hanks influencing our childhood, uh-huh. which is nice. I, I genuinely believe Tom Hanks as Woody. I, I think it's his best performance. I, I really love the warmness and heart that he brought to this. And that's not to say that, you know, I mean, because I really, really enjoyed him as, um, as Mr. Rogers. And I think, like you say, that is undoubtedly... Tom Hanks and also undoubtedly Mr. Yeah. Rogers. This is just Woody, and Woody's just this beacon of light. Even though this is really a story about like obsolescence and knowing your place in the world, and it's made for kids about licensed toys. Hmm, none of this should work. And it feels like this is this film would mean that films like. The Lego movie and Into the Spider-Verse would later exist down the line. This is very much the progenitor to this kind of animated film. Because before this, it was very much like... It was traditional Disney animation, weird shit from Europe, or Don Bluth. And that was your choice. Um, And then along comes Pixar. They make one film and Disney buys them outright. So I think they knew they were onto a good Mm -hmm. thing. I just love it, man. Like, it's just such a good movie. I, I didn't even really consider that this should be here until I was thinking about my, my, my top ten. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm looking across the boards. Like, there's not that many movies, like, that came out when I was a kid. It didn't feel like there was anything here that really, like, fit the, and that's the moment I got into cinema. And then I went, oh, wait, the first movie I ever saw was Toy Story. How could I have possibly forgotten this? Oh, man. I mean, look at the voice cast for this as well. Like, Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, Don Rickles, Wallace Shawn, John Ratzenberger. I mean, Penn Jillette, weirdly, was also in this as a cameo. Huh, weird. Um, 
but it's just it shaped so many kids childhoods did you have woody and buzz as uh as doll slash action figures when you were a kid i'm ashamed to, i don't know what i'm ashamed to say i wasn't in charge of my purchasing decisions at the time uh, i didn't actually I was one of the few kids that didn't actually have the dolls, but I knew the people that had them, so I could play with them anyway. I went a bit Toy Story mad when I was a kid. Um, right. <laughs> I, like, I, I remember seeing it, and I remember just, like, because I'd never seen a movie before, and it was like, that was the greatest fucking thing I'd ever seen. So I've still got my original Woody and Buzz somewhere. I know I have them, and I'm not parting with them. But I also had a <laughs> slinky that I unfortunately twisted to shit. I didn't have a Rex or a ham because I couldn't get those. And they didn't do a Bo Peep, although I'm not sure I was really over the whole gender divide when I was like, what, three? So mm-hmm. perhaps I, I didn't have a Mr. Potato Head. I think I had two of those. Um, and then, yeah. But, like, the big thing was you had the Woody and you had the Buzz and it was the best thing because you got, like, an action figure and a traditional doll and it was just the fucking greatest. And the the new ones look weird and I can't explain why. <laughs> I just don't know what it is <laughs> about the Toy Story 4 versions of those toys, but they don't look mm-hmm. right. I think it's the proportions. I think Woody had a big cylindrical head on the original doll. Oh, right. man. Like... This is just an opportunity for me to talk about my childhood, really. I had the PlayStation game. My walls were blue. I think they had they were blue and white because of both West Bromwich Albion and Andy's bedroom. So it was mm-hmm. even like it was influencing the colours that my bedroom as a kid looked like. I I love the, the You've Got a Friend in Me song. I think it's the best song from any of the, the Pixar movies. That's including Remember Me. Go fuck yourself. It's better. It's <laughs> Back before Randy Newman became a meme, because <laughs> he <laughs> left foot, right foot. No, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. You are strangely combative about this kids' film. Um, <laughs> a little. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure it. I think this may have came out either when I was still in my Thomas the Tank Engine phase, or had transitioned into my dinosaur phase. So maybe that's why I didn't have the toys. But I mean, that speaks to how good this film is. That what 20 let's do this 24 26 years later and there are kids that would have been outraged when this film first came out that still love toy story it still works just as well now as it did all the way back then they are still making millions upon millions upon millions of pounds worth of uh, merchandise sales off the back of this movie and i mean that's probably we, we mentioned this a few times in some films in the first uh, podcast it's a legacy will always be that Pixar have spent 25 years, a quarter of a century, trying to make a better film and coming very close on a few occasions, but never quite capturing the magic they had the first time round. And I mean, again, Pixar launching off the back of this has been maybe the most consistent studio full stop animated or otherwise that has been since this film came out. Yeah, it's really hard to argue against that um, because there's not really that many animation houses that have this kind of legacy. It just doesn't exist. I mean, look, mm-hmm. you're looking at like who was involved in this movie and it's people that like you like then their names all to themselves now. Both Joss Whedon and Pete Doctor contributed to this movie. That's just mental to me mm-hmm. that that all these great minds were all in one place. It, it, it's like it's like to me. I I think the founding of Pixar Animation Studios is a little bit like the creation of the United States, like how Hamilton <laughs> presents like 
like God put us all in one spot to do this one thing. So yeah, he he also put all these really talented people in one room to make (laughs) Toy Story. (laughs) In that analogy, does that make God either Steve Jobs or George Lucas? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, does it not make them Michael Eisner? I don't know. That, that, I don't want to think about that. Oh. I don't want to think oh, about God. that. Yeah, because this was basically bankrolled by Steve Jobs, and um, LucasArts invented the Pixar computer and then sold it. Bet George is well happy about that. <laughs> Bet he's over fucking joyed that he sold that to him because he didn't think it was viable. Silly shit. Um, <laughs> Oh man, and this is the—I think this is one of the first movies, like certainly one of the first animated movies to be nominated for uh, Academy Awards that I can think of, like in terms of computer animated movies, anyway, because it was nominated for uh, best original song, best score, and original screenplay. Um, but then you know it swept the Annies, it it got Golden Globes, it won Kids' Choice, movie MTV movies, Baftas. And like you say, the legacy of this will will live in cinema history. It is one of those things that it's just really hard to think about animation without thinking about the first step that Toy Story took. Because you watch mm-hmm. it back now, and I think with a cynical mind, you could go, well, it looks a bit janky. The lighting's not perfect. Sometimes the faces don't quite look fluid and they look a bit, you know, robotic. Yeah. But you think about any movie, any animation movie that was made like this at this time, and there is nothing like it. Like, no. you can, I would say the only good animated movie, like out and out flawless animated movie before this, was probably Roger Rabbit. And even then, that was half live action. And that's mm-hmm. where the magic of that movie came out. But of course, that was a critical success, but a commercial flop. Toy Story was like. It hit everything out of the way. Like the, I think this. How many movies have a hundred percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes? It's not many, is it? I, I think it might only be Toy Story three and or Toy Story two that does that. Because yeah, I mean, and again, anyone who who could you who could possibly have maybe in retrospect, like if you're grading against the standards of the times, like I treat the humans in early Pixar movies like the Ark of the Covenant. Just don't look at them. Like, not directly anyway, just just know they're there and it's fine. Because, yeah, they look janky as fuck. But that's by grading it against current standards, which is just not fair to do. You wouldn't go back and, you know, score Citizen Kane any worse because it doesn't look like, you know, Inception. So there's that. Mm. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny as well. I don't think it gets enough credit for how funny it is. Mm. It, and not, like, in a kiddie way. Like... There's some like like they they make jokes about Woody pushing Buzz out of a window to his death. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that's the the real key here is that they, you know they they didn't go out of their way to make this. They could have played it safe and made it very kid friendly, and instead they made it sharp enough that adults can still enjoy. It. Maybe that's why it's so endearing is that adults aren't completely put off by watching it again when their kids want to. So good forward planning on Pixar's part there. Yeah, absolutely. We could talk about Toy Story all day and we, you know, we've set aside the time to do that, but I feel we should move on. Uh yes, just one real quick, if you haven't had if you haven't had a chance before, Google the guy, uh the amputee guy who did uh cosplayers Mrs. Nesbitt. Oh my god, I love be. that so much. <laughs> uh, it, uh, um right. 
Onwards, it's 1983, it's from Richard Marquand, kind of, although he kind of had to pussy out, so George Lucas had to come back from hospital to finish it. Made £470 million, 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's our second Star Wars entry. It's Return of the Jedi. The one that gets maligned the most of the original trilogy. I feel they're all pretty much golden at this point, and no one really has the knives out for them. But this one is maybe, usually seen as the least favourite. I will point out, I pointed out in the first episode, New Hope doesn't get here, because although New Hope is an exceptional film, it's very much laying the groundwork for this and another movie to succeed, and it's a little slow pace. Han Solo doesn't turn up until the 45-minute mark, and all that jazz. I prefer Return of the Jedi because you're already established with the characters. You get to see them change. We get to see the changing dynamic between Han and Leia come to the forefront of this movie. We get to see Luke Skywalker Jedi badass, which is exactly what we needed. It couldn't have maintained as just kind of that squeaky clean Luke Skywalker anymore movies. We had to see him finally become a Jedi. We get that in spades. Um, And it just has such a nice rhythm to it. Like, it has that advantage that you first get with Empire Strikes Back of really the kind of breadth of the universe being open to them because the first film was so successful they had the budget to go to half Cloud City, etc. That's the same here. We get to go back to Tatooine. We get to enjoy all the Jabba's Palace stuff at the start and have a little bit of an escape movie for the first like 20 minutes, half an hour of this movie. Um, we then get basically the, you know, the Empire wins at the end of the first movie. They're on the front foot. The Rebel the Rebel Alliance is not looking great at the moment. Um, and it all builds, most importantly, to... Uh, I, I go back and forth over which one is my favourite of kind of the endings of Star Wars films. Is it number three, which is just intensely personal um, between Obi-Wan and Anakin? Or is it this kind of variety pack approach where we have an excellent space battle happening above um, Endor... We have the Graham battle with, admittedly, Ewoks, but they're a good analogy, I guess, and it's still fun. And the tense lightsaber fight between Darth Vader and Luke with the Emperor looking over it. That kind of last hour of this film is just so much fun to go back and watch um, that I I think that tips it over New Hope for me. And that's why it's so high on my list at the bronze medal position. It's not unexpected to see this here at all. Uh, I, I will just say this. The space battle is great. It also makes one of the best levels on the PlayStation 1 game. Uh, if you haven't played mm. that, I would highly recommend that you play that. Uh, yeah, the the thing about this... Um, the thing is, everybody at the time, when there were just three movies, this was the damp squib of an ending. And that's the weird thing to think about, that this film was the worst at one point in time. Right. Oh, that feels weird. Uh Mind you, I remember I remember a time where this was the last one I saw. I remember the time after mm-hmm. watching the original trilogy as a child, pre-episode one. That was the last one I watched. And you know what? I liked it then. I still like it now. It's the first time we saw a green lightsaber, and it's fucking cool. It's the, it's the reason I have a green lightsaber in a room over there. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, because you got... You, did you get... You got Luke's green one, didn't you? Well, this thing, I, in an ideal world, although it wouldn't have made any sense, I wanted um, Obi-Wan's hilt with a green lightsaber blade, but they said no with the... Unless you go into the £90 experience where you still have to pay for the lightsaber at the end, where you get to build exactly what you want, 
you only get the pre-packaged ones and my heart was set on a green one so i have luke's jedi master lightsaber mm. um it's boy oh, it's a thing of beauty not as cool as the new retractable ones that they're not letting anyone play with though the bastard <laughs> that sucks so much like oh it's just for the actors i'm like i don't care how much that thing is you sell it to me right now you fucking how can you go to like fucking that level of witchcraft and then not let anybody play with it it's just oh, disappointing anyway um yeah it's mad that this is now no longer the last star wars film that came out nor chronologically speaking the last star wars movie nope it goes on from here and that, that i don't know if that kind of well, I suppose it helps if you see the new trilogy as kind of an epilogue, as opposed to like a new set of films all to its own right. That's fine of kind of ex- um, examining what happens, you know, when you get the ultimate happy ending. And the new trilogy deals with, well, it's not all that clean cut, is it? You know, it's a Hydra situation. Yes, you killed the Empire, but now the First Order has rose up in its place. All that being said, you have to dance around Ewoks a little bit, because that is obviously the main cross people have to bear with this movie and yes they are very irritating not only for unleashing white davies on the universe but <laughs> for many other reasons like yes it was obviously you know the, the first hint that maybe george lucas isn't an unstoppable good idea machine and maybe that should have been the uh, warning sign for when the prequels came around alas but you know eventually once you get past their first kind of cuddly interactions with leia when they're all when they've got c3po um that's their god get past that and they're doing the fighting it's fine it's still a little weird that there's little teddy bears jumping around and beating the beating to death stormtroopers that's canon um <laughs> yep that is canon you get past that and you, you kind of focus on the really good bits like i said all the battles are great we finally get a really long and decent lightsaber fight out of luke and uh, darth vader and again it's all about the emotionality you get to the end he wants to redeem himself. He's not going to kill Darth Vader because he's a Jedi like his father before him. It's electrocution time. Um, it's all great. And it's it's a redemption of Anakin Skywalker. When watched in tandem with the prequels, it brings the um, prophecy full circle. He didn't die a monster. He got to look on his son with his own eyes. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I, again, I really wish I could give you more kind of nuance than this, but... It's just Star Wars, and we're not done yet. We really aren't done yet. I will just say, I, I think, I genuinely, outside of the lightsaber battle, which I really enjoy, I do think the best bit is the speeder bikes. I, 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 I thought about it for a long time, and I think that's the bit where it becomes the most engaging. I really like how they did that, because it gave you something that we hadn't seen in Star Wars so far. We hadn't seen a chase sequence that wasn't in a mm. spaceship, and isn't this doesn't therefore have that disconnect of people just sitting in a you know a vibrating room with sparks going off it was an actual like it, it was a car chase in star wars it was good it was really good um but yeah it's it's hard to argue against an ridge tridge movie i because you know like you thought the room shouldn't be mine i'm like it really return of the jedi but no it's it holds up just as well it really does yes it's the lesser child of this pack of three in my opinion, obviously not in Darren's, but yeah, although I will say as a testament to the first movie, um, <laughs> because I will I will agree with you on the, the point that it can drag a bit. But I tried to sit down and watch it with my wife not very long back when she fell asleep and she was out of order, but she was right. 
it's okay star wars it's best to trap them at about midday and that's when you can get them into it that was my experience anyway mm. um if you want to take them to a hotel in manchester when you know it's going to piss it down at least a few of the days and take a laptop and some dvds with you <laughs> that's how you get around that problem michael um yeah right that was number three for me on to your bronze medal number three bronze medal time uh it's a movie we've actually already spoken about in a previous podcast um mm. which is good it's from 2010 um let me just double check the tomato meter score for this because i imagine it's going to be quite high it's quite high but it's not i mean you're not going to beat 100 percent, are you um it's an 82 percent on the tomato meter with an 84 percent audience score directed by edgar wright it's scott pilgrim versus the world well done i am annoyed this was shortlisted for the top 10 it only just mistaked in the top 15 i'd say but i remember you put this at the top of your um favorite films of the 2010s yeah so i was wondering when it was going to turn up i stand by that decision i i, I just yep. we've already spoken about this so we might be repeating ourselves here but like there has not been a film that i think has combined what i would want to make so well by the fact that it is is all at once a video game movie a comic book movie and a ridiculous retro action movie <laughs> and it does it all so goddamn well i think it has a fantastic pace i think the visual effects are absolutely outstanding i think i mean you've only got to look at the talent that w- was involved in this as well i mean these these people that were not like this is like one of the first few things we saw chris evans in like it's not the first but it's pretty early on. Anna Kendrick, Brie Larson, Aubrey Plaza, Michael Sarah, Mary the Little Winstead, Brandon Routh, Jason Schwartzman. Holy crap, this cast. And it holds up. I tell you the moment I realised that this had to be not only in the top ten, but in the top three, is they did um, during, I don't remember which lockdown it was, it might have been the second, uh, they did a table read for the 10th anniversary of the movie. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the back end. It was certainly the back end of 2020 that they did it. Um, And they got most of the cast back. It was nice to see everybody, but they were just reading the script over Zoom. And I sat and watched the whole fucking thing. (laughs) And it's just these people just on their webcams, just reading something. And I was like, like, the character of this movie just carries itself. It's got such a great little identity. It's the little indie boy that could... I say indie it's not exactly indie in terms of budget because they they did spend around it's somewhere between 60 and 85 million and it only made 49.2 at the box office this was like because i remember this was the point where like marvel was just like starting to properly hit their stride and everyone was like well if it gets a big um reception at comic-con clearly it will be a hit i don't know what happened here because people did not turn up to this film, even though everyone loved it at Comic-Con. I famously hated it the first time I saw it, but then I watched it time again and again and again, and I noticed little details that I liked, the choices in the soundtrack that I really love, then I started to appreciate the acting, and then all of a sudden, like 12 months later, it's one of my favourite movies ever. And I don't think you'll shift it. I think this is going to be bronze medal, I would say, the vast majority of my life. I think it's that good. I agree. It is endlessly rewatchable. It was um, we were what were we watching the other day? It, it just happened to be on um, kind of the Forrest Gump effect, and we were like, 
are we, are we going to sit down and watch this now? And we were like, hell yeah, let's watch some Scott Pilgrim. Even though I think we watched it last year. But, uh, nice. Yeah, it is yeah, un- endlessly rewatchable. So much fun to, to kind of go back in and watch. Especially since everyone's careers have like took off because of this movie. Well, not because of this movie, but since this movie, everyone's gone on to be a bigger deal. Um, that's very, very impressive. That obviously whoever was in charge of casting had a good eye for these types of things it's yeah it's it feels like an almost perfectly preserved nerd nugget like that it doesn't have that mainstream appeal but that's kind of okay it's kind of for the best mm. because i just don't think it's that's maybe it's not its biggest flaw because we both enjoy it but it doesn't really have that opening for people who aren't engaging with it on the same level that i think we do yeah, I think if you come into it just expecting, you know, I know people who would like a fair amount of the movies I do that would absolutely hate this, like with a burning passion. I don't think they'd make it ten minutes in before they abandon ship. Mm. But I, I've anyone I get the inkling might like it that I've shown it to has absolutely loved it. I have an almost a hundred percent swing rate from me loaning out this DVD like a few years ago, and getting it returned with, I didn't see that coming. It's still a bit weird to me, but I absolutely fucking loved it. <laughs> excellent, excellent stuff. We could say more, but I feel like we already talked about it in the previous podcast, so uh, I'll, I'll kind of tail it off there. The weird, the last thing I'll say though is that here's how you know it's probably going to live down in much the same kind of cult following that a lot of the movies on my list have kind of followed. Mm. Um, it's it's now ten coming eleven years on. The game for this movie just got re-released. They're re-releasing the soundtrack all over again, both versions, both the 8-bit version and the licensed, movie, the, um, licensed music version being released. And it's getting re-released in cinemas when re- they reopen as well. This is... Is it? It really is, yeah. They're, they're doing a limited re-release for the 10th anniversary, now 11th. So, yeah, I can see this one having much the same kind of legs that things like Rocky Horror did, and I am very happy about that. They're determined to make that budget by hook or by crook, aren't they? Um, <laughs> it might take them 10 years, but they'll make that 85 back. Yeah. Okay. At number two, we find what I think objectively is the best film ever made. Uh, this might sound confusing, but I'll explain when we get to number one. Uh, it's 1980. It's by Irving Kirshner. 550 million. 94 on Rotten Tomatoes. You knew it was coming. It's Star Wars. It's Episode Five. It's The Empire Strikes Back. And yeah... If you, if I have to be objective about things and take some of the sentimentality out of all the movies I've ever seen, this is probably the best one. Like speaking completely from almost like a spreadsheet of just like, well, yep, undeniably that's better than anything else. That's better than anything else. It's so good, and it's like the fact that it's like the poster child for sequels that are better than the original, kind of undermines how astronomically better it is than of. The New Hope. A New Hope is still a very, 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 very good film. It takes everything that set up that film, that everything that worked in that film even, and takes it to that next level. Even the tone. Like, the first movie works as a kind of self-contained kids movie. This ain't a kids movie. This is... This ends with your main character basically half-dead, hanging off a weather vane, your other main character in an, encased in concrete. Everything's going wrong. The Empire's winning. Um, 
it's it's abandon all hope children it's so good and i i feel like it it's not cropped up on yours yet michael so do we want to save some time because i feel like it might crop up on yours in a little bit i'm happy to talk about it regardless okay lovely yeah it's i mean again we're not here for deep discussion it's just brilliant it's brilliant from start to finish it introduces you to one of the greatest characters of all time um it just it it introduces I, i remember if you haven't had a chance do go and watch the um empire of dreams documentary um it's on i don't know if it's on disney plus but it's basically it's on both the um the box set dvds of the original trilogy and it's on the blu-ray release as well if you get the um the big disc edition uh it's about two and a half hours it's actually longer than any star wars movie um but watch it's a complete documentary about the making of the original trilogy and they interview Irving Kirshner, the director, who was basically George Lucas's um, mentor and teacher when he was at um, uh, CalArts. And uh, he said, right, well, I've just been basically... He he is a director in his own right, but he'd made like very like um, cerebral movies, um, which I really do need to go and check out someday. And George Lucas had a heart attack, um, like pretty early on and decided he wasn't up to the task of directing it just the first movie took so much out of him he was constantly having to fight day in day out he thought he was going to die so he asked his mate Irving to come in and do it for him and Irving Kirshner was he, he, they interview him and he says well I realized we had to increase the humor but we couldn't have gags we had to have romance in there but we couldn't have it be mushy we had to up the action but the budget couldn't spiral too much because basically they were self-financing it again. Yes, they had a lot more money than they did the first time round, but if it failed, all of the costs would fall on Lucasfilms and on George Lucas himself, not 20th Century Fox. So my God was the man handed a Herculean task and pulled it off in every way, shape or form. It's definitely funnier than the first film. The romance between Han and Leia works surprisingly well, and it's like it's a no-brainer in the end when you think about it. How those two would, you know, interact in that way and kind of fall in love. It's quite easy in retrospect when you watch the first one um, to see that's where they wanted to go in the sequel. Um, it ups the action, it ups the stakes. It's yeah, it's it's everything that first film is. The groundbreaking, you know, changing cinema over a night that New Hope was. And makes everything better and that is the sign of yeah the greatest film probably ever made yeah i mean it's really hard to argue against that i mean it's it still has what people consider to be the greatest plot twist in a film of all time yeah, i didn't even mention that oh my god yep like <laughs> the most memeable thing of all time like my um goddaughter finally got in i finally convinced her to start watching star wars i did have to start watching high school musical together there but we did it um, and I, I was insistent she wanted to start with number one. Thankfully, she's a bit like me, that she's wired to do things like, well, no, that's that's the order. You go one through nine. And I had to sit down and convince her, like, no, 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 no. Start with four, five, and six. It'll make a lot more sense that way. Because I basically I wanted to preserve Luke, I am your father. You watch the prequels, that's not news. So I, I wanted to keep that sacred. And uh, she watched it and said, oh, yeah, I knew that was coming. Like, I've seen that in a lot of the cartoons I watch. I'm like, God damn it, My Little Pony, why have you got to ruin it for me? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Actually, yeah, that's Toy Story's fault. It's Toy Story 2's fault because they do the same joke with Zerg. So thanks, Toy Story oh 2. Oh, my God, You're they do, that. don't they? 
yeah, 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 yeah. It's turned up in basically everything. Yeah. If, if she's growing up, if she's watched another Disney film that's got a bit of a reverent humour, it's going to pop up at some point. But yeah, I can remember. Um, basically, I remember the first time I watched Star Wars. It was on ITV. They played it over three weekends. Um, and I somehow, like, because they keep in New Hope, they mention like. You know, oh, your father trained me, your father in the clown ward and did it. Mm. I remember turning to my mum, who was doing the ironing, and I was like, they keep mentioning, I'm a lot squeakier, um, they keep mentioning Luke's dad, who's <laughs> Luke's dad? And she just gave me this look, and I was like, eh, okay. She's like, don't worry, you'll, you'll find out. I'm like, okay. And then the next week we watch Empire Strikes Back, and I'm sat on my couch again. And that happens. And I remember just going, <laughs> and she's like, yeah. <laughs> your, your Uncle Albert, it? Uh, do yeah. Uncle Albert, just <laughs> <laughs> And having it, like, it's such, it's a wonderful memory I have of just, it, uh, it wasn't spoiled on anything. Thankfully, I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to watch Simpsons and that, that jumps at the chance to ruin Star Wars for you. So, oh yeah. Yeah, it's, it was oh, so wholesome. And that's why if people haven't watched Star Wars, obviously when they get to Air Age, they know it's coming. It's like that and I see dead people are the two most known film spoilers in history. Oh, yeah. So that's why I try and like I was trying to like convince her to watch it early in hopes it wasn't blown for it because you want to encapture that. Because, yeah, it's the best movie twist of all time. It completely blows everything you thought you knew about Star Wars out of the water. And then Luke gets his hand chop- chopped off and chopped down a, a ventilation shaft. Oh, one ending. They've gone Ooh. up their ventilation shaft. Oh, no, I just quoted episode <laughs> one. That's sacrilegious. <laughs> oh, boy. <How> dare you. <laughs> oh, man, and that's like, that's like stamping all over the great quotes from this movie as well. Mm-hmm. My yeah, favourite of which will always still be laughing up, fuzzball. Beautiful. It's, yeah, all the stuff that, all the stuff on, um, the, on Dagobo with uh, Yoda is perfect like the, the the twist there's another twist of thinking you're dealing with kermit the frog and then in that one bit where he just closes his eyes sides and says i cannot teach you and you're like what yeah. and again i love it turning to the woman going is he a jedi yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> here we go um well, you knew yeah, well, years later you'd be watching the 12 backflips <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that's why i don't mind uh um, Attack of the Clones, which did give us backflipping Yoda. I mean, that does mean that Yoda is a benefit cheap, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've made that joke too many times now. It's not funny anymore. Anyway, I still find that's it funny. M- Thanks, babe. And yes, and all that praise. It's not number one though. Number one hasn't changed since I was the age of about four or five, and it will always remain so. But more on that shortly more on that shortly indeed but let's do my silver medal position first uh with an 85 percent rotto uh run tomatoes to- on the tomato meter with 87 audience so audiences like it's slightly better than critics um it's it's a little known movie that i like to call how i stop worrying and learn to love all things marvel it is of course guardians of the galaxy volume 2 from 2017 yes volume 2 I'm not having this discussion again. It's volume two. (laughs) It's the better movie, and I will fight anyone. (laughs) I'm very combative when it comes to these uh, top three, apparently. I 
I can. T- I thought for a second you were going to say Doctor Strange, love, and I was like, what? Could you imagine if I was like, <laughs> yeah, I choose Doctor Strange's silver medal position? Could you? I would just slam Skype off names like you pretentious dickhead. No. <laughs> <laughs> now of all, now I think the thing that we got to bridge first is the Guardians of the Galaxy 2008 comic book run that ran through a number of different. Uh, cosmic marvel stories and was the aftermath of the annihilation event is my favorite comic book of all time it's my favorite one again much like these movies i recognize it's not the best run of comics either especially because there was the best run of nova that there'd ever been at the same time much like that i know that guardians of the galaxy volume 2 to most people ain't even the best guardians of the galaxy movie let alone the best marvel and yet here it is in the silver medal position I have to explain a lot of things. I fucking love that comic book. I was one of the few people that, like, truly, like, when Guardians was announced as a, as a movie, I was like, nobody's going to watch this stupid movie about the tree and the raccoon. And I'm like, you don't fucking know. It's going to be the tit. So when the first one did really well, I was a very, very happy boy. I didn't think it could get any better. It did, because number two is better. Let me go through why. Uh, first of all, the villain is better. I think Ego is a fantastic addition to this movie. I think it made sense to tell the story about Star-Lord's father, especially since we've had the story about Star-Lord's mother in the first movie. Thematically, it fits really well. It's a very strong performance by... Uh... Oh, my God, I've forgotten his name. Oh, no, please. No, no, no. What's his fucking name? Kurt Russell. Jesus Christ. Ah. Oh. Don't don't do that to me again. That was painful. I forgot who Kurt Russell was for a second. Oh, didn't like that. Um, yeah, I think Kurt Russell's a fantastic villain. I think he gets that right amount of like sage-like wisdom, but also just vehemently just the worst person you've ever met. Exactly right at the same time. It's really, really well done. I think the, I mean, everybody loves the music from the first movie. Here's why the one in the second movie is better. It's because it's songs you didn't know you liked. The good thing about the first one is like, oh, it's Bowie. Oh, it's fucking uh, like the dancing baby meme music. Everybody's heard those songs. Nobody had heard Brandy before. I don't think people had really been that exposed to to Fleetwood Mac in popular music before. Uh, maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but you get what I'm going at here. Nobody listened to listened to Fleetwood Mac and immediately said the chain unless you're an F1 fan. Now they do. Mm-hmm. People didn't even know who Looking Glass were, and they're like those guys are like teachers and uh, having to deal with the fact that their band has shot up on Spotify and stuff like that. I think it's a wonderful soundtrack because it's made with the script in mind and not trying to cram songs that already exist into those scenes. As good as they are in the first movie, and you know, I do love Hooked on a Feeling, but you know, I'll defend the chain above it. I I think that this soundtrack is just used to such great effect, especially because they touched on a nerve with me and they used Father and Son by Cat Stevens. And that song still makes me cry, and I still love it, and it's just used so perfectly in this movie. This is what's good about Volume 2 as well. Some of your favourite characters end up not being the core five. I know a lot of people whose favourite character was Yondu at the end of this movie. Perfectly understandable, to be honest, because that's one of Michael Rooker's best performances. I think it really captured the the idea of, like, the unconventional family really well, even down to, like, you know, not just the whole father and stuff 
well, the father, son, and other father, if you really want to get into it, um, stuff between Peter Yondu and Ego, but also like having him and Rocket like quarrel like brothers. You've got the sister rivalry between Gamora and Nebula. You've kind of got a little bit of like because you delve a little bit more into Drax's past and about the family that he lost, and you have that really nice moment between him and Mantis where for the first time at least in drax's personal history somebody else feels his pain because you've got an empath there to like share that and you see that effect on her there's so many beautiful little moments in this movie that works so well and that's not even mentioning stuff like the world building oh hey the guardians 3000 are here here comes sylvester stallone who's fucking starhawk now like a, mm-hmm. a, a cut so deep that even people who did read cosmic marvel doesn't know who that is <laughs> i just love it for doing that um i i really like the idea of the uh, the kind of the legacy aspect especially when it comes to the the post credit scene and we see yondu's finn getting passed down I, I know people memed on Baby Groot and, you know, there's always going to be a cute character. But I honestly think the, having like this little, pure, untainted character works really well in this selection of characters. It works so well because everybody has got a shade of grey, a tragic backstory, some shit that's happened to them. And then you've just got this little beam of sunlight that's Baby Groot. And he is funny. That uh, People actually criticize this movie for being too funny and don't get me wrong i can understand if you watch it and you think that the fact that every scene seems to end with a punchline is too much i i kind of understand that i think it appealed to me specifically because i i I do find comfort in humor i guess like one of my coping mechanisms has always been comedy so it very much spoke to me on that level and let's not forget, at the time that this movie was released in 2017, that's a very pivotable, pivotable, no, pivotal core movie, movie year. Oh my god, I can't even say words anymore. That's how much I like this. It came at a time of great change for me. 2017 is the year I met my wife, and this is primarily one of the reasons that we even got talking to begin with. It's the year that I ended up losing a lot of weight cutting my hair, growing a beard because I wanted to look like Star-Lord for a cosplay. Those, that tiny little change, I'm going to dress up as this character I like, changed my entire image. It met, made me meet the person I would eventually marry. It's it's the mo- movie I've actually seen in cinemas the most as well. So I think, as much as I enjoyed movies before this, I think I started seeing cinema as one of those at least going to the cinema as one of those like lifeline things. It's like, that's right now. I'm looking forward to when the the pandemic is done and getting to sit back down again in the cinema. I genuinely fucking miss it. I know that I always despised the cinema experience and especially other people at the cinema. I really fucking miss it now. I remember just catching a, an 11 o'clock showing as my sixth viewing of this movie and still loving it and being in that environment as much as I did. Maybe that's a bit sentimental. Maybe that's not very critical. But hey, you didn't come to this podcast for that. Guardians of the Galaxy, number two. Oh, like all those wonderful reasons make me feel a bit bad about what I'm about to say. But you talk about lots of perfect little moments. A little bit of me wish you'd pick the first one. Because then in episode 100 of Popscorn, we could have had it your number two. 
episode one of Pop School, oh, which was Guardians of the Galaxy. I haven't even thought of that. Oh, yeah, bollocks. that's the reason we came back to do film reviews because I had to apologise for how wrong I was about doubting the Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, that it's... was so many years ago now. Oh yeah, that was the second of August, two thousand and fourteen. Bloody hell. Not, weirdly, there are three episodes that precede it on, um, at least on the podcast that I use, which annoyingly means the first one listed is Fell Fiction, Episode 2, Nick Grimshaw's Tentacle Diddling. So, <laughs> not ideal. Uh, we did, well, we were just, we were the side project, Darren. We weren't the main. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that turned out. <laughs> I came in, as I usually do with these things that took over. <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry for you people waiting for, uh, Fell Fiction episode four. That's my bad. Um, <laughs> you've been waiting seven years for that to come back, but ah uh, well. <laughs> Ridiculous. It had to be number two. Like I think you know how much I love that movie, but I think you know it, it's a very. Like, it could have been any film, really. I th- I think it really could have been any movie that I enjoyed to that degree. That all of a sudden became such a pivotal i mean for fuck's sake i'm looking over at my cabinet now the walkman the zoom the 3d printed uh, uh action figure of me dressed as star lord downstairs i have the helmet i have issue one of the 2008 run it's become a little bit of a defining factor about me darren uh, you know what i'm gonna let you say it one last time we get it michael you like Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, Ooh, we haven't said that for a while. I know, and we might get to say it someday again in the future. May 5th, 2023. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I mean, we might be getting the Christmas special this year. Oh, fuck yes. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. I feel like Mark Hamill's going to be in it, you know. There's been too many interactions for that to not be a thing. Oh, that would make me very happy. I know, I know. So I've just realised that basically this whole 100 episodes, because you asked me to uh run my eyes over the podcast you had recorded uh and my criticism got so deep that i basically got substituted in <laughs> this is still a temp gig myth ladies and gentlemen anyway uh, oh i'm enjoying this i am too right um sorry i didn't realize i didn't even mention yeah guardians of galaxy 2 is great um i think i prefer the first one but i understand for all the reasons you just um, rattled out there why number two uh, is preferred. Um, I, I genuinely thought you were going to pick Endgame because I'd forgot about your love of Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm very stupid. Um, it's been a hot minute since we've got to talk about it, really. It used to be uh, something we used to talk about every other week, but there we go. It has. Right. So what you said, you look over to your um, uh, cupboard and you see all the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff and that tipped you off. Now, at the moment, if I look over to mine, um, because I'm not in the room where all my stuff has been sequestered away... Uh, it's all Harry Potter stuff. Uh, don't worry, I'm not about to put a Harry Potter film at number one. Um, Do you imagine? You're like, at number one, Order of the Phoenix. Like, what the fuck? Oh, 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 oh God. No, no. Um, but, so we, we have a lot. Well, this is like all the uh, Harry Potter stuff I've brought to. There's some Harry Potter Lego. We've got the like Hogwarts Express and uh, Nagini and stuff. That takes up, of the six rows of this bookshelf, it takes up the bottom five. At number one, though because I ran out of room for him where all the other Star Wars Lego sits in the other room, there's a load of Lego dinosaur skeletons alongside a load of dinosaur teeth that I have. Uh, I've got 
a couple of Mosasaurus, a couple of Spinosaurus teeth. I have a T-Rex teeth. Teeth? I have a T-Rex tooth. A T-Rex um, teeth. <laughs> I, have t- I have a T-Rex teeth. Uh, I have a little mosquito in amber that my brother got for me, which is one of my most precious belongings. Oh, you um, finally got one of those. Brilliant. Oh, yeah. Didn't I tell you, Jen? My brother got me one for Christmas. Uh, not last year, the year before. Oh, nice. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's very, very small. It's only on a little key ring. But, uh, yes, I do now have a mosquito in amber. Um, as I said, that's that's in here because there's no room for extra Lego in there. Because it would look a bit weird sat alongside two entire glass cabinets full of Lego um, Star Wars stuff. Which would make a lot of people believe that Star Wars is my favourite. And I mean, I've gone a lot more out of the Star Wars franchise as a whole in terms of video games and just extra stuff than I do my number one. But pride of place, if I could only keep one thing that I own in that room, other than oh, the lightsabers in there and the Master Sword, but <laughs> if I could only, if it, was, if it was burning down and I could only grab one thing, it would actually be the thing that sits behind one of the glass cabinets. It's my original 1993 poster for my favourite movie of all time. It's battered to shit because I had it on the back of my door at home and at one point it fell off and my brother opened the door on it and kind of put a little rip it down the middle. But I've repaired it, it's patched back up, it's fine. Um, it's I don't actually have that much memorabilia from this film. I have that poster. I have a poster for one of its sequels on the opposite side and I have a little statue. But there is no doubt in my mind that this will... Until the day I die, this will go down as my favourite film of all time. It's from 1993, directed by Steven Spielberg, made $1 billion at the box office, which I believe at the time was, did make it the highest grossing film of all time, 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. To the surprise of absolutely nobody, buckle up, it's time for my 10 minutes to talk about Jurassic Park. I, <laughs> I adore this film i would not make any single changes to this because it's perfect to me like i admit that in a lot of ways star wars the empire strikes back is a better film deals with a lot more um you know character nuance and all that jazz but i have seen this film i'm probably gonna say it's upwards of 50 times at this point i watch it in full at least three times a year, if not more. I This is the movie I watch on January 19th as it ticks over midnight into January 20th, which is my birthday, so that I start every birthday I ever have watching Jurassic Park, which is the best way. There's other things you could be doing, I guess, but uh, for a film anyway, it's the best way to start any birthday. Do you possibly. still time it so that it's the appearance of the T-Rex? <laughs> uh, I, I, I did it this year. Um... But I did go through about a five-year phase where I got it. I knew exactly when to start playing it, so that as it hit midnight, the T-Rex lets out its first roar when Lexi and Tim are in the car. Um, I'm 30 years old now, for it's probably time to just watch Jurassic Park and not be so angry about timing it there, Darren. <laughs> um, it was still that scene. I've just got good at timing it, but I think I was just beforehand. I think it just come through the fence when it hit midnight. But anyway, um, yeah, I. If anyone asks me, like, oh, what film should I watch? And I, the first question I always ask when people start talking to me about films is, let me just check, have you seen Jurassic Park? And anyone that says no has then an open invitation to take, well, I mean, uh, I've got it on VHS, I've got it on DVD, I've got it on Blu-ray, I've got it on digital. I don't think there's a format other than Betamax that I don't own it on. Did they so... do it on Laserdisc? I imagine they did do it on Laserdisc. I should probably track that down. I got very jealous of someone I follow on... Um, twitter because on ebay one day he found a job lot 
of uh, 38 VHS copies of Jurassic Park. <laughs> I'll be honest, I, th- to... I thought it was going to be like, you know, that box of Star Wars stuff in The Simpsons was like, Princess Leia sent out yeah. breast tape. I thought it was going to be like someone found a box that had like Laura Dern's denim jacket and the steering oh. wheel from the truck or something like that. If that exists in the world, they ha- wouldn't have it for too long because... I'd pay them whatever money I have to get Laura Denim double denim. Um, <laughs> Laura double. Dern double denim. Laura Dern double denim might be one of our favourite like references yep. that we make. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, sorry, he got, he works for IGN, he got those. He had to drive to France to get them and he gave one of them to Jeff Goldblum when he interviewed him for Jurassic World um, Fallen Kingdom. Um, I see this thing, we've never, I've seen it um, I've seen it in cinema because I did a 3D re-release. Um, I've seen it at uh, Birmingham Symphony Orchestra with the full... Ow! I've just hit myself in the face with my own um, popping guard there. Uh, <laughs> so much excitement. Is there? Yeah, I saw it at Birmingham Symphony Orchestra with a full-on band playing through all the scenes. It was excellent. I never run out of... Any time it's on, I'm going to watch it all the way through. I unironically love its sequel. Not number three. Um, I love Jurassic World, um, uh, the Lost World Jurassic Park. That was shortlisted for the uh, for the top ten at one point. Um, Ian Malcolm is my favourite film character of all time. Um, I have been. I, I spent an exorbitant amount of time. The first time I went to Florida, I basically refused to leave Jurassic Park Islands of Adventure. I, I was almost of the mind to say, "No, leave me here. I'm home now." You can. It's fine there, Mum. Bye bye now. I got it from here. I I took probably charitably about fifty pictures next to the gates. Um, it is yeah. I I've been obsessed with this since the first time I saw it. Um, one of the earliest memories I actually have was leaving a cinema. Um, I don't even know what I'd watched, but I remember walking past the standee for number two and getting. It was the first time I ever realised that sequels were a thing. Like they can make more of these. What? Oh my god, okay. Um yeah, I I adore it in every way possible. I am in no way capable of being critical about it. There is not a single thing you know what, maybe because like I said, I haven't been able to review it on podcast until now because there's no need for me to do it. I mention it so often anyway. If you want to see how much I, I love this film, go and listen to how relieved I am that Jurassic World was just good and didn't mess things up and meant we get more of it. Because I literally had to go and stand about 10 foot away from the microphone because I was going to scream so loud that it was just good. Um, the relief was, like, palpable. Um, I know you like it too. I don't think anyone on planet Earth likes it as much as I do. But I know you're a fan because otherwise I don't think we could be friends. Yeah, obviously. Come on, it's Jurassic Park. Like, uh-huh. Great film. I too enjoy the Islands of Adventure um, Park. Even though that ride's a little bit shit, I still quite like it. Um, what the boat ride? Yeah, like it, it, it's that's great. Realistically, it's just a fucking shit log flume in it. But like, I do hate log flumes usually. Yeah, it's the only one I ever go on. But it's the only one that has a fucking is what what dangles down at you as you get down the drop. I can't remember what it does. The T Rex. Is it the T Rex? The T Rex. So you're going up the thing. The the Dilophosaurus have had a go at you. The Raptors have had a go at you. And you come round the corner, and your boy, well, your girl in this case, is stood right at the end looking at you and you're too busy looking up at her that you don't see the drop is like right next to its feet and then you go that's if you're on the uh florida one they've updated the california one to be jurassic world so now it's that and the irex are there 
Um, apparently, it's it's good. Like, because some of the animatronics do look a bit outdated on the Florida one, but I don't care. It's a bit more thematically relevant than the Velocicoaster is, but I'd chop my left arm off to go on that right now because it looks fucking awesome. I mean, you've got to think that Disney kicking themselves, they didn't get the rights to release that. Could you imagine the dinosaur ride if it was Jurassic Park? Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be good. That's, yeah, a, I, that's good shit. That's some good it's, shit. Because I know Star Wars will go on and it, Star Wars will be evergreen, but that relief I had from Jurassic World was just relief that my favourite franchise of all time that I'm so tied to the fortunes of will continue. And I mean, we've got one so-so sequel out of it. We gain Dominion next year um, with the return of um, the big three of Sam Neill, um, Jeff Goblin and Lord Dern. Um, all coming back for that. I don't care how they get them together. I'm just still excited anyway that those... I'm going to get to see Alan Grant and Ian Malcolm interact again. Fucking A. Um it meant we are going to have a chance of more video games. And we did. We got um, Jurassic Park, uh, not Operation Genesis. Uh, it was Jurassic World uh, Evolution, which is a brilliant park builder game. It was the thing that actually got me through my early anxiety of the first lockdown. Is um, It happened to come out, the DLC um, for the Jurassic Park DLC came out at the same time as basically everything went into lockdown. And I am eternally grateful for that game to just give me um, Isla Matanceros, my happy place where I just got to walk around and look at all my dinosaurs. Yeah, I I adore it, and I make no bones about it that it is probably not the best film ever made, but it will always and forever be my favourite film of all time. Well, there it is. <laughs> ah! Yes, Michael! Yes! <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Uh, you too could be a proud owner of the Jurassic Park 1994 Laserdisc for uh, the high, high sum of £3. What was that it? I just went on eBay, typed in Jurassic Park Laserdisc. The first one is £3 with £3.80 postage. So £6.80, Darren, and you too could own the Laserdisc of Jurassic Park. I'll fucking take that. That and HD DVD, and we're in business. Oh, if you want the Laserdisc of Lost World, they also have that for £5. Oh, now that's a bit pricey, you see. (laughs) (laughs) The funny thing is, I own Jurassic Park 3 on all three mediums as well. I don't think I've ever used any of them. (laughs) <laughs> fucking phenomenal yeah it's hard to argue against i know that that's your favorite movie like i i think we had that discussion first i'm like well we're gonna have the same first one and then you very quickly followed up with no 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 we won't oh, no, no, <laughs> it was like no, no. oh yeah that movie he watches every year on his birthday yeah maybe that's his favorite yeah, one probably yeah i'm i'm not gonna the, I, there's nothing else i need to say about jurassic park because you've clearly already said it um we've already also said a lot about my number one <laughs> yeah for so okay <laughs> we knew where this was going I, I i did think for a second i should be like oh no we better talk about it now because it's actually not my number one darren and i was like no i can't even be i can't even like pretend to be that dishonest um because mm-hmm. everybody who knows me knows that there is one film that shaped me as a person it is 1980s the empire strikes back you knew it was going to be here I've, I will defend to my death. This is the best film that has ever been made. It's just, it just is. It's just perfect. And of course, let it be known, I'm forever the awkward one. I picked the middle film in the trilogy as my favourite one. That's fine. <laughs> but everybody knows that it, there's a reason that this is the most foregone conclusion of any podcast we've ever done. That you know, Star Wars would be not only in our top ten but our top two. Mm-hmm. 
with fucking reason. It's a cornerstone of who we are as people. We did a whole week dedicated to this entire franchise when Seven came out. You want to talk about relief? The relief we felt after um, Force Awakens? That was relief, my friend. <laughs> God, God, you can God, say that, that again. It was, I'll tell you why it was also scarier is because, the you know... This is the first, so I first watched this movie as well as New Hope and, and uh, Turn of the Jedi on VHS, and I'm fairly certain my first time round watching this. I think the thing is, I remember it so vividly that I think it was the special edition, mm. and that that it hurts me that that was how I first watched it. But that is an absolute testament to the power not only of this singular movie but also this trilogy this franchise i watched what most people argue to be the worst version of this movie and i still love it above everything else i've ever seen in my life and probably will ever see i don't think there's going to be another film like this i think this film really opened my mind to what stories can be told and he did it at just the right i think any older i don't think i would i think i would have been more critical any younger i wouldn't have understood why it is this important i think i watched it at exactly the right age which would have been now let me think i was born in 1992 and that episode one came out in 1999 didn't it uh yes so i would have seen this around 1998 so that yeah so i was about what seven i think maths is not a strong suit of fair entertainment no no it isn't i i can't believe i'm happy to count this 93 94 95 96 97 98 i'd have been six or seven depending on when i first saw it um but yeah it was just it arrived at exactly the right time especially because there was already a glut of entertainment to to like have alongside it i remember watching this and then straight off the back playing the playstation one game mm-hmm. like it was just and, and it was the half level and then i remember you know after going to see episode one and then get to play jedi power battles and it's like there's always been of all the mediums i've enjoyed there's always been something star wars there and that's what empire was i think i think even back then i kind of looked at jedi is this kind of lesser product and one is the kind of more drawn out one there ain't a thing i'd change about empire it's perfect from start to finish there is nothing bad about that movie the dark tone really works as a sequel the fact that you you know the greatest film twist in history we've already called it the incredible characters that this film introduced it's the first appearance of both boba and lando that's some fan favorites right fucking there isn't it it's got I really, really enjoyed everything about Cloud City. I think everybody likes... Is it Bespin, isn't it? Cloud City? Yes. Yeah, there we go. That was a map in one of the games as well. And I just remember loving mm-hmm. everything about it. I can't remember which game. That's really annoying. Battlefront? Uh, Surely. You've got to have been Battlefront, right? Surely. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's in either one or two, yeah. The, the original know, ones, not the EA ones. Yeah, I mean, they're fine. They're they're okay, but they're not a patch on the originals. Um, But, like, I think this is where the love started. I think, one, I watched and was like, that was pretty fun. And I think I was always, like, kind of aware that it existed because I remember I Am Your Father not being a shock. I didn't get to have that Uncle Albert moment like you did, which I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm actually kind of, like, sad that I didn't get to have that. It's a real shame. I like, I... It's probably, you know, it's 
tainted me trying to make everyone else experience it the same way I did. So my mum has had some uh, unintended uh, repercussions there that even, what, some 20 years on, I'm still trying to force uh, eight-year-olds like, no, you have to watch this one person. Don't read anything else that mentions Star Wars. <laughs> I remember the, the big brain moment I had when I just finished watching Empire and it was the week of release of uh phantom menace and i had a magazine and i remember like covering the face of sidious and the face of palpatine and going oh my god and it's like but it's pa- because like it was just chancellor palpatine he's not really referred to as palpatine in the original trilogy he's the emperor oh. and i remember like having that fucking big brain moment <laughs> like fuck, i already know who it's gonna be and it's like Feeling plugged into a fandom for the very first time is a very powerful feeling. And one I think most people, like, will always cherish. Like, their thing, everybody's thing, is always the first time they plugged into a subculture or to, you know, some kind of greater sense of collective. And having, just having that stupid moment with a, with a magazine whilst watching my favourite movie of all time and going... Remember that guy that turned up earlier on in this movie? I get to watch him happen. Like, I get to watch the genesis of the character. And the same with Anakin. It's like, you know, oh, oh, we get to see, like, Daddy Skywalker. But he's a boy. What the fuck? And he... There's a lot of things I feel about Star Wars. (laughs) A lot of them are mostly noises. Um, (laughs) But, come on. Come on, I'm not the person I am if I didn't fall in love with sci-fi, with cinema, with this franchise specifically, and could and not put it at number one, you'd think I'd be fucking crazy. Like, it's such a cornerstone of who I am as a person. And whilst Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 defined, you know, the changes I would make as an adult, I think this this movie is the one that defined all of the imagination, all of the um kind of like the, the the headspace i was as a kid and i am very thankful for that no stick was a sword it was always a fucking lightsaber and that's how it should stay forever <laughs> I, I have to give you credit you figured out the palpatine thing some six years before i did because i think <laughs> somehow somehow i didn't figure that out until i was watching episode three god damn <laughs> i was a dense child um, <laughs> there we go. No, oh, you, obviously, you hear no argument from me. I just basically ex, um, explained all the reasons that you just gave about ten minutes ago. So, good. I am really glad that we only had one repeat film this entire time. Yeah, it was only Empire, right? Yeah. How did we manage that? Well, I. Th- mm. Uh, you didn't have much of a, a restraint and you put three Star Wars movies in your top ten. That I did. Um, whereas I, I, I was like, one per franchise, that I'm being very strict. But also I think it's actually a lot more reflective of, of, of my choices and my taste in cinema. Whereas, like, we think about it, we're very similar, you and me. We're not so different, you and I, to mm-hmm. quote... To quote Doctor Evil, fucking hell, was Austin Powers ever in the running? It was, we've already talked yeah, about it. it genuinely was on the long list for me. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, we're really not that different. And yet, I think that the reason that we continue to podcast about movies is because of the differences that this top ten has shown. Yeah. Like, similarities, that means we get on, we have common ground to talk about, but... Yeah, but considering that three of the ten movies you mentioned, I actively hate. 
is good going that we've managed to remain friends as long as we have. <laughs> Tell you what I'll do, and I'll, I, you, you may want to join in with this. When you when we post this podcast, I will post my list in your style, and I will actually say, right, okay, I'll, I'll bung everything together and, mm. and, and do it that way to see how that changes things. And that gives you then leeway to do a top 10 that is not restrained by only having one pick per franchise. <laughs> I hope you're ready for entirely Star Wars and Marvel. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that because mine was... Um, I mean, 50% of it was Star Wars and Marvel, so I can't, <laughs> I can't really point any fingers. Um, yeah, I, I, that's what I'll do because I do, I think I have that list written down somewhere anyway. Where obviously Jurassic Park is number one, Star Wars is number two, but then it kind of goes a bit more free than that. That will get Rocky Four back into the conversation, so that's good. Um, <laughs> it's a big hearts on fire moment there. Ah! I'm already, even though we only recorded that thing two days ago, I'm already regretting not putting Rocky Four at number ten. I, <laughs> I, I'm disappointed in myself. I tried to be. I was like, no, no, go for the Dark Knight. Everyone likes the Dark Knight. It's objectively better. But is it though? Does it get your heart going? Oh, I have regrets. But oh, well, I said it was a fluid list at the best times. But no, I, I am very glad that we've got this out. You can now, we have a definitive list. I, maybe, maybe when we reach 200, we can revisit, but I'll be honest, like, the latest film that has made this is, well, Endgame, okay, so 2019, but there's only three films from the 2000s that made this list, and that was number 10, number 9, and number 8. Everything else was 90s, 80s. Like, there is only one 2000s film, and that's a Star Wars film, so that doesn't really help the balance the equation here, does it? So... I don't feel like there's going to be a whole lot of change should we reconvene and do this at episode 200. But you never know. We've got about 40 Marvel films to get through before we get to that. <laughs> That's true. And I, I think I'd like to I'd like to recap it at some point because I, I, I quite like to go back and watch the movies I haven't seen. It like from also for like I really, really thought about putting Back to the Future here. Mm. And it's like, well, you know, maybe I should watch some more movies like Back to the Future. Maybe I should go back and, you know, do some of the 80s films that, like, everybody bangs on about that I really don't have any strong feelings towards. Like, you know, the th the thing is, like, I, I thought, oh, maybe I should watch The Breakfast Club just in case. And it's like, that's like the quintessential American high school movie and something I'll never relate to in my life. But maybe I should give it a chance. Who knows? I know, like, they get the Breakfast Club as their most authentic, like, high school experience, and Airways is by far the in-betweeners, and I don't... <laughs> you know what that says about air culture, but, yeah. Oh, that's depressing. <laughs> wait, wait to end the episode on a depressing note there, Darren. Thanks for that. True, though, isn't it? Yeah, True. There's, so. there's, there's nothing more, like, real life than in-betweeners. Anyway, um, right, so thank you very much for listening to us um, kind of just talk unendingly and unabashedly about our favourite things. It's a very good exercise. I mean, if you want to send us your choices for your top tens, by all means, I'm always looking for new films to start watching. I'm going to watch The Warriors. I did look. Uh, it's not on anything, but I will track it down somehow um, to give that a watch. I am always open to watching people's favourite films because it's a wonderful thing to talk about. When you care about something as much as I care about Jurassic Park and when other people come back after I've like, you know, lent them the DVD or give them a recommendation and they tell me like, that was excellent. I don't know why I waited so long to watch it. It is a wonderful feeling. So anything you want to tell us about that, please do go ahead. In terms of what's coming up next, we have both seen the Mitchells versus the Machines. 
Um, so hopefully we'll have time to uh, put that out as episode 101. Uh, if not, we are very, very soon going to be getting uh, the Loki series on Disney+. Plus. That is coming up in, uh, I think, a little over a month. So by the time we get those three, well, these two episodes and the Mitchells vs. Machines, we might be just on time to, well, we go wait for Loki to finish. That's a lie. Um, what else is coming up? Oh, no. Have you run Black out of Widow. content again? Well, Black, Black Widow, okay, but, I, but that's July, so I think Luke, uh, Loki might have wrapped up by then as well. So That's true. Oh, uh, E3's round the corner. That's what I was thinking of. E3 is a month away. Um, I think, yeah, it's a, yeah, a month today. We will be knee-deep in uh, E3, so that's good. We can't really tell if we're going to be able to get as much juice out of it as possible. Uh, there's still Pokemon Snap. Uh, I have made some headway. You'll be happy to hear. Um, I, I have unlocked quite a few levels now but i still nice. feel i'm a little bit away from forming opinion i am going kind of on holiday for a week so hopefully i'll return with that with a very intact opinion of pokemon snap so there we go that is the roadmap for the next few episodes it is looking forward to it are the stars going to align are we going to get crashing smash I really want oh, that to happen it's an american event maggle you have to think if it's going to be any time it's going to be now this is last chance saloon oh, for my yeah. boy. The time is running out for Crash. I'd <laughs> I'd like to think so. That's how you what, because it's the last uh, DLC pick, right? No, there's uh, two left. Oh, is there two left? Okay. They could they could unveil them both. That's the thing. That's what happened mm. at E3 when they revealed, uh, revealed Banjo. Um, so yeah, I'm thinking they might just do both, and that's the end of it. But one of them's got to be Crash. Come on, my boy, my boy. Surely now. If ever they were going to do it, now's the time. If Crash and Spyro together would be quite a quite a thing. I mean, it won't happen because there's inevitably going to be a Japanese character that most people don't care about. But I want my boy. I want my orange boy. He needs to put Mario down like he did in the 90s. <laughs> right. Okay. Less about things that we really enjoy. More plugging. You can go and find me on Twitter and Instagram at that Mike Cohen. You can go and find Darren on Twitter and Instagram at the Guttridge. You can find the site on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under the username FowlyNT. That's F-O-U-L-E-N-T. Find us on Spotify. Find us on Apple Podcasts. Find us on SoundCloud, wherever you can pick up an RSS feed under the username FowlyNT or FowlyNT, depending on your service you are using. And, of course, go to FowlyNT.com for more of this, more articles, more podcasts, more of the stuff you love from us. Thank you very much. Oh, boy, I'm actually out of breath now. Thank you very much for listening to both parts one and parts two. I'm hoping you did and didn't just skip straight to the top five. Although, hey, some people don't have much time of episode 100. I can't believe we actually got there of Pops Gordon. Here's to the next hundred. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.